1: That's stamps.com. Code program.
2: I guarantee you that half the apps on your phone are probably breaking the terms of service and misusing your data to a greater or lesser extent, either accidentally or intentionally.
3: Yo. Technology. What is it all about? Hello and welcome to your extra special bonus edition of Danny in the Valley. Yes, two in a week. I know, it was crazy. But extraordinary times call for extraordinary measures. And these are certainly extraordinary times for Facebook. So I am sure you know all the ins and outs, but in case you have been living under a rock, this last week may have been the worst in Facebook's 14-year history. It was revealed that Cambridge Analytica, uh... Data mining specialist siphoned tens of millions of Facebook profiles, violating the company's rules, and then used that data to target pro Trump ads in the 2016 presidential campaign. And lots of other nasty details have come out since, um, which I'm sure you all know about. Facebook stock has plunged by about 10%, lopping off around $50 billion of market value. And after several days of stunned silence, Mark Zuckerberg came out with a raft of measures to tighten how its data can be used and by whom. But the question is, will it be enough? We shall see. And to talk about it, I sat down with Antonio Garcia Martinez, who is a former Facebook executive who helped create the ad system about six, to six, seven years ago. That today is at the heart of the hullabaloo around Russia, data privacy, how Facebook is being used to sway elections the world over. Antonio's also written a book about his years at Facebook called Chaos Monkeys, which is definitely worth a read. It's uh, truly revelatory. And I think you'll find the conversation today really interesting. And uh, as an added bonus toward the end, we also talk about Mark Zuckerberg's stuffed bison head. True story. Anyhow, I hope you enjoy this one. Here's Antonio. Could we just start with the basics? What was your role at Facebook and kind of what you did there?
2: Yeah, through a weird series of misadventures, I was effectively hired, I guess, in 2011. And I became what's known as a product manager. And to translate that for the non-techies or the the non-Americans maybe, the product manager, to use the sort of douchiest MBA speak possible, is the CEO of the product. Which is kind of true. He or she is is the face of it, comes up with a roadmap, the vision, and kind of captains in some sense the the product. It's a foundational role in many startups. In many startups, the CEO, in fact, effectively is the product manager in chief. And what product was that? Right. So the product in question here was the ads targeting product. And what targeting means, that, that term is often tossed around kind of loosely. Targeting is the data that the ad exchange or the publisher or the social network exposes to advertisers so that they can basically express what they know about the world or what they think they know about the world in order to cater an advertisement to somebody, right? Just to make up an example, if Burberry thinks that affluent women north of 35 in a certain zip or postal code likes buying $3,000 coats, then they, you know, they can go into Facebook and basically target that type of person.
3: So I was just looking at I was just going through some of the Facebook numbers and you know this um, figure which the analysts like to look at, which is average revenue per user, and in the U.S. ARPU, yes, on yes. the U.S. it's something like 120 bucks per person on Facebook per, right. per year. Right. Is it fair to say that the system that you helped create? Is behind that ARPU.
2: That's given me a lot of credit. This was uh, <laughs> there's a lot of people involved in this. Yeah, um, but I think yes, and, and the reason why I think you know my experience is still relevant, and why I wrote a book about it, and why like you know who cares what you did there. That was a key period in Facebook's history. From 2012 to 2013 is when it went from taking ads, frankly, not terribly seriously. And having an ad product that wasn't particularly helpful to most advertisers. But, you know, Facebook was already so big that who cares if it didn't monetize well? A billion times any number is still a big number, frankly. But then come the IPO, fancy that, in 2012, they had to get a lot more serious about monetization. And so the call went out, so to speak, for, you know, everyone who was involved inside ads. And again, you know, was one among many to come up with new cool ideas. And, you know, I was involved in, the, in a lot of the stuff that if you browse the internet... And you you go back to Facebook and you see an ad there. I had a hand in that. That's not kind of what saved Facebook. That's not what made it be the. I was about to say the three or four hundred trillion, but I guess it lost some of that value with most recently. But yeah. whatever it is, the you know a good chunk of a trillion dollars of value was mostly its actual its mobile ads product, which I you know I didn't
3: have anything right. directly to do with. But yeah. So Cambridge Analytica, obviously, I think you heard a little bit about this. So this idea is that. You had this; these personality quizzes, 270,000 people downloaded them, and those, anybody who downloaded that, unbeknownst to them, gave this outside app permission to scrape all the data from all their friends. Thus, you get to this 50 million in quote-unquote breached All data info. is a little bit loose.
2: It's not really all of their Facebook data, but it right. was, was what was actually queryable via the API.
3: But yeah, yeah. Two questions. Isn't, I mean, this was all allowed. This was how Facebook was set up. You know, this this ad system was specifically for that, wasn't it? Yeah,
2: true. I want a nuanced thing. So we're okay. talking, just to, to be clear to your listeners, you know, one thing is the ad system, right, in which you're trying to monetize these reactions. The other is what goes by the name of Facebook platform, or at least internally that's what it's called, whatever it's called publicly. And, you know, this is not such a mysterious thing. Many of your listeners will be very familiar with this. When you go to the Apple App Store and download an app, that's a platform, right? That That's the exact analogy to what Facebook was in. You've got an open platform, which is the Apple operating, mobile operating system or, or Android, if you're an Android user. And then you have, you know, a bunch of users with lots of personal data on their phones. And then you've got third party developers, right? Anything from a major corporation to a startup with two founders sitting there clicking away, can submit an app that does something cool. And Apple or Google, or in this case, Facebook does it because you know they can't create the world that exists in that phone. They wanna create a platform. And here's the reality. When you open yourself to third party developers and you have lots of user data, that data is going to get stolen. And, you know, it comes as no surprise to anyone in tech that a lot of these apps don't follow the terms of service or the contracts that they signed, if they even signed one. They, they basically agreed to a set of conditions and maybe either misuse the data, either through malice or incompetence. Um, in the case of Cambridge Analytica, it seems it was through malice. And then you know make off with the data i guarantee you that half the apps on your phone are probably breaking the terms of service and misusing your data to a greater or lesser extent either accidentally or intentionally that, that was the the leak and i hate to, to use the term breach because it it's not really a breach they didn't hack facebook and get into the computers it wasn't that
3: they were using the system as they were using a, yeah. the
2: system but then flouting the law or facebook's law effectively and yeah i mean the facebook should be criticized for anything it's that they kind of didn't enforce that quickly enough or didn't react quickly enough.
3: I read Mark Zuckerberg's statement, which was put out a few hours ago. And he said, we found out that Cambridge Analytica, or their, sorry, the company that they hired, breached right. their terms, passed that information along. Right. And that's the breach. And they said, okay, assure us that you have deleted all this data. And they said, yes, we have. And they said, great.
2: Effectively, yes.
3: <laughs> so does this get to the the idea that It's kind of still the Wild West. Like, people can say, oh, yeah, I I got rid of all that data, but there's no kind of checks and balances there.
2: Yes and no. Again, I want to distinguish between, you know, I know to the outside world it's all Facebook. It's all blue, right? It's all Zuck, which is true. At the end of the day, it, it bubbles up to him. But the culture and practices, even within... Uh, you know, a company like Facebook can be very different, right? On the ad side, which is what I was most familiar with. And again, I I didn't work on the platform side. Ads was very much held as sort of a remove from the main product, at least at the time, right? On the ad side, Facebook was actually very protective of its data. Uh, You know, there's always this meme that Facebook sells your data. That's really not true. Um, If by sell, you mean like leaves Facebook and goes into the hands of God knows who to do God knows what. That's not true at all. Actually, Facebook designs products precisely so that data cannot be stolen, or stolen only with immense difficulty and at a very slow rate. At least on the ad side, we were very aggressive about shutting down this sort of behavior. Now, you know, I have personal knowledge of companies that bent the Facebook rules and were basically Instabanned off of Facebook. Facebook doesn't care. Like, they, they just, these are, well, we don't need you. Off you go. Which is why it kind of surprised me that that attitude was not held on the platform side. You know, and what's really weird about, to me, like people might be asking, so platform this, app that, you know, what is this for? Let's take us back a little bit, right? In 2011, 2012, you know, Facebook launched a lot of bold initiatives. Everyone might remember when they would log into Spotify with Facebook, and then when you press play on a song, suddenly it would show in your feed, and you'd aggravate all your friends. And there's all the integration. So that was the beginning of what was called Open Graph, which was this tool that Facebook was going to have to sort of take over every user action on, on the internet, right? It's A very bold right. move. That's where this platform thing came from. It worked for a while, and then it kind of flamed out. And the reality is, like, I haven't used a legit Facebook app. In years. I mean, the only utility of it is the universal login. You can just go somewhere and log in with Facebook, and that's it. That's the only purpose that thing serves at this point. But for some reason, they persisted this kind of gaping wound of data <laughs> inside Facebook. And so, Zuck's statement today, I think, is a good one, by the way. I'm, I, I'm probably preempting a question of like, what do I think of the statement? To me, it was kind of reassuring. Like, whatever little piece of my heart still has a little bit of Facebook blue in it and kind of, like, wants to see the company succeed, it's like, good. This is the company that I remember when Zucker senior management, when something was screwed up, would just step in and just fix it. Like, no obfuscating. This is it. This is the right way. Just bloody fix it. His announcements today are, are in the right direction. You know, effectively, he's shutting down or basically throttling Facebook platform.
3: So what does that mean?
2: So what that means, you know, there's a lot of nuance in there. What it basically means is that, for example, a user that hasn't used an app in three months, which is basically every user app pair probably because again user you know facebook
3: and apps are everything from farmville to right which root vegetable are you
2: right exactly right if you were right, exactly if you were a tree what tree would you be that sort of crap that used to go viral on facebook three or four years ago but you know it does include things like again you may have logged into spotify or another app with a facebook login and that the only utility of the app is to identify yourself to the app via facebook so those those will still stick around you'll still be able to log into spotify but again yeah what tree are you type stuff is just going to disappear they're just not going to have access to your data anymore is that a big deal no it's just data hygiene right like the the privacy hygiene like frankly everyone should probably go into their their settings screen and probably disconnect data access for all these unused apps themselves this is just facebook probably maybe for one of the first times in its history defaulting to a non-open state and saying you know what we're just gonna we're gonna close it for you you should go do this we're gonna do it for you um, yeah, it's somewhat important. There's a few other steps. Uh, companies that, like Cambridge Analytica, who are shown to have violated terms of service in 2015, will be, according to Zuck, instantly audited. Auditing is really throwing the gloves down. This is like Facebook people showing up in your office saying, "Give me that computer and show me where the data is," and like literally show me that you've actually deleted
3: it. Do they have the power to do that, or is it simply you either show us this or you're off?
2: Which bans them that doesn't actually save you from not having the data out, right? Well, there's two. things. So Zuck said that that was also true. Companies who would basically refuse would be shut off. Uh, you know, I don't know the the de- I didn't read the terms of service on Facebook platforms, so I'm not I'm sure really what the idea. hell it is. I, mean, I, I do know they have to delete the, late, the data I think after 24 hours or a certain number of days, which was another infraction. Cambridge kept the data around, which is not supposed to do. But yeah, I mean, it, Facebook has, without revealing too much here, it has baked audit rights into some of the contracts that it signs. For example, again, on the ad side, on the ad side, yeah, Facebook does actually have an audit. Rights with many of its partners. And if it wants to, I mean, it's an expensive, relatively rare thing to do. But yeah, they can go nuclear and say, show us your computers. Prove to us that you deleted this. So Zach also mentioned that, for example, if anyone with permissions on platform that would give them access to, I think it was your posts which used to be accessible, which is, you know, kind of a private thing, and probably the core of your activity on Facebook, uh, would actually have to explicitly sign a contract with Facebook rather than just clicking through a terms of service agreement. You add enough of these quantitative differences and you get a qualitative difference, right? It's no longer the case, I mean, before today or this week or whatever, any Joe Schmoe can go and get it. I think I've got a developer API keys, uh, a key on the platform because I was cooking up some stupid little app to do whatever. Anybody could do it. Now it's going to be a lot harder to just cook up an app, convince someone to opt into this thing, and then just hoover in whatever you can through the API.
3: This gets to the idea of, you know, stepping back, average Facebook users just like, I don't trust Facebook anymore. Is there a kind of a clean way to, quote unquote, fix Facebook as of the, way, the way you see it? <laughs> I'm going to
2: sound like a total corporate show when I say this. And I hate it because, you know, it's funny because I actually wrote a book that was kind of critical of Facebook and yes. I wrote Bridges. And like often when I say these statements, like, oh, well, you work for Facebook and you should have. It's like, all right, dude. But like I'm like the one guy who wrote a book. I've read Facebook. Chaos Monkeys. Right, yeah, yeah, right. yeah It's not it's not globally positive. I'm not a corporate no. show. It's odd that people mistrust Facebook so much. I mean, I think part of it is just the persona maybe of Zuck a little bit comes off as a little bit creepy. That damn social network movie, which I, I don't feel was terribly accurate. But nonetheless, it's, it's what people uh, parsed. Look, here's the reality. Whether you like it or not, and how much of this whole weird data world we're going into where like data is a new oil, you understand or not, companies like Facebook and a few other companies are really your only allies in this battle. <laughs> they might slack at it, right? They might not be as reactive as you'd like. But who are you going to appeal to? The advertisers? They don't care. They're willing to brand any rules to sell you that sweater right. or to convince you to vote for Trump. Look at all the sketchiness that came. Look at the they got the CEO on record, not on record, but you know, taped, it, yeah. you know, saying basically horrible, manipulative, Machiavellian things. Like, who, who else are you going to depend on if not Facebook? And whether people realize it or not, and I tried to make this point in my, in my book, but people still don't believe it because people, it turns out you actually can't convince people of anything whether people realize it or not, Facebook actually doesn't care about ads and money that much. I mean, there's a famous line in the IPO documentation that Facebook filed that Zuck wrote that said, we don't build services to make money. We make money to build services. The ads are there as a necessary evil. And, you know, at least when I was there, I definitely felt that ads were kind of like a second-class citizen. And, you know, it was important, like, you know, in the same way that like facilities management was important, right? And the janitors were important. But, you know, I don't think this is like lost any
3: sleep over, you know, monetization. I think other
2: people did. I think Cheryl did.
3: So, I, so for example, one idea I've heard is make Facebook a membership, 10 right. bucks a year or no, whatever. No,
2: what, what was the ARPU? 110 bucks a year.
3: Yeah. Or so, yeah, whatever it may be. And you, you know, US users would subsidize the rest of the world yeah, where it's basic, that's effectively right. Why not just do that and get rid of ads entirely? <laughs>
2: So okay, so normally I would say that's completely ridiculous and never going to happen. Before, if you had asked me this question before, maybe a few months ago, look here's the reality: companies like Facebook depend on what's called network effects. And in case you're not familiar with that, what that means is that a network of say n nodes, if it grows to two n, it's not worth twice as much. It may even be worth more than four times as much. It might actually scale exponentially, given all the various subgroupings, right? And there's a number of laws, Metcalfe's laws, that describes this. Basically, in, in more layman's terms. You use Facebook because everyone you know is there, right? The cute girl you had a crush on in high school, your coworker at work that you want to kind of, you know, make friends with, talk with, whatever. Everyone is there, which, you know, creates a moat around Facebook. The problem is they have to make like from the outside it looks like a moat, like it's unassailable. How can you attack this network? But, you know, from the inside, it doesn't look so unassailable. Because, of course, the network effect works in reverse. If the network were to get halved in size, you don't lose half your value. (laughs) The value of it goes down by a lot faster. and So Facebook has to go like crazy trying to get users to stay on the network. And, you know, that would put friction on adoption if you actually charge for it. The moment you charge for anything, it it becomes suddenly not friction-free. And you'd lose some people just because of the the mental decision cost of paying. They don't want to pay for a thing. Whatever it is, they just want to pay for it. Now, so that would be my typical argument. You know, Josh Constein, who's a pretty well known uh, tech reporter and, and covers Facebook a lot, came out of the piece yesterday. Like, you know, maybe it's time to actually come up with a payment plan thing. And you know, I read it, and I, I I was prepared to sort of dismiss it. And then I read it and I was like, well, you know, Josh might be right. I think in, in mature markets in which that's it, like Facebook is one. It's over. Yeah. Like, no, like everyone who's gonna use Facebook is gonna use Facebook. That's it. There's no there's no one out there that's like, oh, you know, I don't know about this Facebook That's like no. <laughs> Either they walked away from it because they tried it, or they're on it and that's it. In that world, yeah, maybe you could charge for it. I don't know that it would be a global thing. I don't know that in, in some markets where Facebook still wants to grow, like say India or whatever, or Russia, for example, that would still be the case. But um maybe in mature markets you could do that. Or you could make it like a freemium thing, right? Like I, I yeah. want some premium features along with some like, you know, I'm like I'm like a power user, like a blue check mark guy. And I want to be able to like time my post and just, you know, just do sophisticated stuff. And for that I'm willing to pay thirty, forty, fifty bucks a year. Like I, I would pay a hundred bucks um, you know, a year for yeah. for Facebook plus some nice posting tools because I post a lot. Maybe, but I I think in most of the world, that's not gonna quite work out that way.
3: (laughs) The other thing that I think is interesting that's come out of this is this idea that, you know, if the banks were too big to fail, Facebook, YouTube, Google, they're almost like too big to govern, like no matter how good your algorithms are. And and you can't hire enough people to police these platforms that are just too big. That's right. And I thought one of the things, really interesting things from your book is this idea that the ad system was built to sell towels tracksuits, whatever, right, right. and then Trump and Obama and everybody else used it to sell an ideology or right. a political candidate. Right, that's right. And there's no differentiation.
2: That's right, yeah. And that's the weird thing, right? Like, I think that's the story of this whole scandal again, is that politicians are suddenly adopting these technologies that previously existed only in the commercial world. Yeah, maybe they do have to be regulated differently. Like, when the whole Russia—and now it feels like it was ages ago, but it wasn't long ago—when the whole Russia thing happened, people ask me, like, what do you think about that? Like, the Russians— Yeah, I have to say, I agree with him. Like, no, that that shouldn't be legal, right? Like, Joe Ruski shouldn't be able to just log in, but use a credit card and target swing state voters with messages in Ohio. Like, no. (laughs) Like, if you tried doing that in TV or radio, you'd get instantly shut down. Like, how is Facebook different? So yeah, no, in in that world, I I think, yeah, no, there should be some regulation there. Because I think politics, yeah, they, they are special. And it's not that unusual. There's other special cases of ads that get regulated. Alcohol ads are regulated in a big way. Smoking is regulated. Political sure. ads on TV. But, right. It, there's equal time rules yeah. um, and equal cost rules, although they don't apply to, to either cable or to internet. Um, but sort of the spirit lingers over the thought. Yeah. Right? Look, I, I don't think that's a crazy thought. Maybe, yeah, maybe politics is special in some way. And uh, even though the human mind works exactly the same, whether it's shoes or Trump, um, like, <laughs> that's the problem. It works exactly the same. Yes. But uh, legally, it shouldn't work the same. Yeah,
0: maybe. all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
3: And so another line I remember from your book is you say you're a heartbroken idealist. <laughs> yes. How are you feeling today? what I mean, if you had to bet, say, a year from now, they're kind of in the eye of the storm and have been in a eye of a growing storm for months right. now. Does Facebook look dramatically different? Does the experience of Facebook look dramatically different? In a
2: year, there will have been a neo-Luddite revolution, and we're all living like the Amish. That's, that's the reality. <laughs> that's it. We just turn around and just say, that's it. It's over. We're just not. This is a bad turn. Again, I'm going to sound like another fanboy again, but you know, you asked me for an honest opinion. Yeah, I think Facebook's going to come out of this. They're, again, they're obviously taking very concrete steps to actually shut down the platform, basically to to stop the leak. And um, yeah, I think they're going to escape it. I think you know. <laughs> I say this again, it's a common line that I use, but I think the relationship of of a Facebook user to Facebook is kind of like that of an addict to their drug, right? They kind of need it, but they hate it. And then they hate themselves for needing it, right? And they kind of sublimate what is basically self-loathing on somehow it's like Zuck's fault that I'm like hooked to this thing. And it's partially true, but it's partially not. There's always been that undercurrent of hatred to Facebook for whatever reason. I don't know that it's going to increase that much. It's definitely not going to go away. I think the biggest damage that Facebook might suffer, and this is kind of an insider-y thing, is a damage to the company itself.
3: I was going to say, are you still in touch with people in Menlo Park at the campus? And You know, it's
2: funny. Everyone everyone who I knew who was kind of cool and interesting is left. <laughs> and the only people who are left are like the organization men who wouldn't dish, you know, at, at length, at least, about what's going on inside. Right. But you don't need friends on the inside anymore, right? Which I think is, is the big deal, right? You actually have leaks coming out of Facebook now.
3: Which is... Unprecedented.
2: I mean, yeah. Right? I mean, as you know better than better than me, certainly, and yeah. everyone in Silicon Valley would agree, before the election, Facebook was famously difficult to penetrate because nobody would talk. I mean, forget on the record, even on background about anything. They drilled that into you. I have a scene in, in Chaos Monkeys about the whole scene where they basically scare the bejesus out of you. But it was mostly still self-policing. Like, people just felt that it was a betrayal
3: to reveal. They anything. bled Facebook they blue. Bled, they
2: bled Facebook. Did I actually use that phrase? And no, no. Right no
3: I just, just, I just I, yeah, think I made that up yeah, right now. Yeah, great. Right, right? they, they <laughs> and
2: I bled Facebook blue, too, right? Yeah. I, you know? But, you know, with Trump, I think people are having real questions about their impact on the world. And that, you know, that's a. I mean, all these leaks that are coming out, all the palace intrigue, the chief security officer getting, getting semi-fired, Cheryl disagreeing with them, like all this dirty laundry that's being aired, that would never have come out before. And, and what that really means is that there's a deep fracture in the morale and the sort of cohesion of the company. And I think that that is very hard to recover. Again, I call Zuck a genius in my book and who knows, he might pull it off. But, you know, I, I don't know, maybe not. That's the thing that has powered Facebook through everything. With that, you will survive everything. Getting the world's smartest people in the world, hard, you know, some of the most hardest-working people, and getting them all going in one direction like maniacs, that's incredibly powerful. Lose yeah. that.
3: You're Microsoft. Or you're, yeah, you're just
2: Microsoft at that point. You're just IBM now, right? Right. Right. And if things go bad and the stock price goes to 100 oh, I'm out of here, buddy.
3: In terms of where you sit, is there any other kind of untold aspect of this or something that people are missing? <sighs>
2: I mean, we, we covered the platform thing. Like, this is how open platforms work. They always like data. Like, that's always how it works. The fact that, historically, Facebook actually is very aggressive about protecting data.
3: Protecting data from hacks? No, no. no. Well, yeah, well, yeah, that. Because that. it does, I mean, data or, is or just currency. Data
2: like, data theft. Like, right. Right, like, it's too wonky to go into. But there's, yeah. there's, there's all this shit inside ads that basically means that you can't siphon out data. You can't right. pull this shit in ads. Like, forget right. it. There's just no way it's going to happen. I mean, once, once they click out of Facebook and go somewhere else, you know that they came from a certain targeted segment, but that's inevitable. You can't, and that's the click through rate is like one percent at best, right? So like you're only using maybe one percent of data, and there's no way to avoid it. There's nothing you can do. Right. But when it comes to everything else, Facebook is really careful about not trusting anybody and not letting data get out anywhere. Like this, this shit would never happen in ads. It would just be impossible. Basically, right.
3: Yeah. From memory, this decision to basically fund the whole empire on ads was backed into, or like they didn't feel good about it
2: yeah I mean this is the so this is the weirdest thing about I often mention this in talks. Advertising is such a bizarre business model when you think about it, right? It's like in most commerce, I produce a thing, a good or a service, and there's some business model, a recurring monthly charge or freemium model, a mortgage, whatever it is. I sell you my thing, you buy it, it has some value, it's a function of your perception of quality and how much it costs to produce, and that's it. But in advertising, it's totally different. I produce a good or a service. you consume this, in this case, it's free. And then the value of that thing has nothing to do, literally nothing to do with either the value of that object or that thing to you or, the, or what it costs to actually produce. It's the value of your attention or, or that moment of whatever that exploitation element is to some third party that has nothing to do with Facebook, right? It's so weird. And then, and then you have these massive media empires like, say, Snap or I would say Twitter until re- recently it was profitable but barely profitable that produce, obviously, delightful products that people love and use all the time, and yet they can't make money. It'd be like literally BMW not being ready to make money on a BMW 3 Series, right? It's like, how is that possible, bro? Like How can you not sell this thing? But that's true. And, that, and it's exactly what you're saying. Like, they, they build these media empires, and only at the end, usually around IPO time, do they ask the question, huh, so is this a business, right? And then they try bolting on some ad system and running like hell and trying to monetize it. It's just really strange. And I, I don't know why we do this, but this is, this is the way it works. Maybe because people who know a lot about ads... Can't, aren't actually smart enough to construct consumer experiences that anyone wants to experience. Right. And so they, they get hired later, right? Yeah, not, yeah. not in the founding round. Yeah, I don't know. this, But no one's found a monetization model that actually works for companies that have significant network
3: effects. Do you think it's too big to, to actually effectively police ever?
2: No, I mean, it could be split up, right? If there was some notion of antitrust that involved network effects, they could force WhatsApp and Instagram and Facebook to like split the know, sheets, sp- yeah. Split the sheets, like not actually share data, which would be the critical thing. And then, yeah, whatever the corporate governance structure would be different. But and,
3: it's we're really just talking about the feed right. effectively.
2: Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I mean, they're, they're, they're you know.
3: I mean, because uh, yes, they have WhatsApp and Instagram, but it's really the feed that's all of this is happening or where all the kind of action is happening, isn't Maybe, it? Maybe. I don't know.
2: I mean, depends. There are probably people who would use Instagram a lot more than Facebook. I mean.
3: Well, yeah, for sure. For sure. But I'm just saying, in terms of the, what people are talking about, yeah. And I mean, that, where these ads are thing. being served.
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the most valuable real estate yeah. on the
3: internet. Yeah. Just so, very simple question. Sure. Do you have Is hope? Is that running for
2: president? No. No, he's not. <laughs> he's absolutely not.
3: Oh, we can talk about that because I think that's quite Everyone
2: interesting. Everyone asked me that question. Okay, fine. Go
3: ahead. Before we get that to that, do you have hope for Facebook that they can write the ship? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Really?
2: Oh, Facebook can be around for a long time. Yeah. They're not going to go away. Come on.
3: Well, oh, I think they'll be, be around good. for a long time, but... I guess I wonder in what form or if they're entering the Microsoftization phase post Bill Gates where it's just kind of off and just kind of all of a sudden it's the boring, not very cool company that. I mean, the usage dashboards tell the
2: tale, right? The dashboards, the internal dashboards that show how much the app is being used by how many people and how many times a day and all that stuff uh, or how long every day. That tells the tale. If that, if that starts dipping down, and that has only ever gone up in Facebook's history. It is literally death, taxes, and Facebook user growth. Those are the three constants in life. If that starts dipping or is stagnating, and it has to stagnate because they're running out of humans, yeah, then, well, that's, that maybe is a problem. All this delete Facebook stuff, I think I, I, I tweeted about it. Delete Facebook is like the new, I'm moving to Canada, right? It's like this sort of virtue signally thing, but no one actually gets in the damn plane to Vancouver, as far as I know, right? right? Whether Lena Dunham or anybody else, right? And so all this delete Facebook thing,
3: ah. Uh, I'll believe it when I see it. And from everything I've read about Zuckerberg, he does seem genuinely conflicted about what's happening. Oh, I think so. Yeah. I mean,
2: I I didn't work with him deeply. I don't claim to know the guy very well. But from his statements, the company he built, you know, the couple of times I've seen him in action. This is a man who's a believer. He's a prophet of this religion that he's turned into this corporate cult, whatever. You know, one of the top 10 or 12 most valuable companies in the world. And I think he does feel conflicted. More than that, he felt almost blindsided, right? This election just came out of nowhere. Facebook clearly played a role in it, despite his first statement after the election, which was yeah. one of the most jaw-dropping things I've ever read. Him basically saying, oh, there's no way. i like, yeah. are you insane? I think he was caught blind ten. He doesn't know what's going on. I mean, that's why he—that's why he assign You know, he always has like a challenge every year or whatever. Yeah. He assigns himself this challenge of going and visiting every American oh,
3: state. I, or I'm going to only eat meat that I kill. Right. Exactly.
2: And he actually yeah. stuffed the buffalo that he shot. By the way, it's on Facebook's campus. It's this huge buffalo. That's one of the rooms. I'm serious, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. No, no journalist actually knows this. Really. Yeah, but it's just there. You can see it. Yeah. Wait. Yeah. He,
3: there's a buffalo on Facebook campus. I don't know if it's a buffalo, it's a bison.
2: To be, I, and come to think about it, I don't even uh, know what the difference is between a buffalo and a bison.
3: Right. They're, they're probably but it's, the it's same. this
2: big damn thing that you have seen the buffalo nickel or dances with wolves or the thing that used to roam the plains or yeah. whatever. So I think, and again, I'm hearing this totally secondhand. I wasn't involved with this thing okay. at all. The only, the only thing I know is that I know the story and I've seen, I've seen the buffalo. I know it exists. And I think it has a name. It's called Buddy or something. Um, anyhow, uh, you know, Zuck made one of his public challenges, which was to not eat any meat that he didn't shoot himself. And I, evidently, I don't know where you go to shoot a buffalo, but he went and shot a buffalo. And then after it was butchered, he stuffed the head. And uh, the head, where did it used to be? In the first campus I worked at, not the big one now... It was in somebody's conference. It might have actually been in Cheryl's conference room, to come to think of it. But anyway, you walk into this conference room, and there's this enormous stuffed buffalo head just hanging from the wall. And it's just sitting there. and it's just Really? And you know, I, I don't know what happened with the new campus. I'm not quite... I'm, I'm sure it's somewhere. Yeah. But it's... I don't know where it is in the new campus. But I definitely saw it in the old campus. So
3: that was a trophy from his challenge, public challenge. His public challenge... That's the story had... I heard. Again, right. Yeah. I will check that out. Okay. His public challenge this year was to fix Facebook. Right. Any guesses of what a trophy might look like if he actually, <laughs> if he actually achieves that goal? Would it just be like a, it, it's Larry, a user usage graph or right. something?
2: It's it's Larry Page's head stuck stuck on a wall. No, <laughs> no, no, no. The war with Google is over. There's no war with Google anymore. Um, yeah, what would be fixing Facebook? I you know I don't know what that means. It's funny because usually his, his goals are very tangible and he's very output focused in general when it comes to his company. So this diffuse notion of fixing Facebook, it's kind of like. You know, fixing world poverty. What would that even really mean? I I don't know. I don't even know what the the hell that means. But clearly, unscrewing this situation is part of fixing Facebook. Clearly, Um, whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know what that is. But
3: uh, awesome. Thank you for your time. Appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. And that is it. I want to give uh, extend a big thank you to Antonio. I know he's been back to back to back to back to back with demands of various types uh, amid all the chaos around. Facebook. So thank you to him for sitting down and speaking. Thank you for listening and rating and reviewing. As always, I really do appreciate it. Keep them coming. And I am now going to figure out what we're going to write about Facebook this weekend. It's been, um, it's the story that keeps on giving. Anyhow, I will talk to you next week. You can find me in the newspaper, the Sunday Times, online, thetimes.co.uk, on Twitter at Danny Fortson, and on email at danny.fortson at sunday-times.co.uk. Have a good weekend. Talk next week.
1: Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable.